Always remember God is for us and not against us. Amen? God is not out to get us as the devil would like to make us think. No. Uh, no, God is for us. He wants to help us. But he has a way in which he likes to do that. And that's through his word, his powerful word. And uh, it is sharp or sharper than any two-edged sword that pierces. It's for a purpose. It's to help us and not hurt us. Amen. Ephesians 5, we'll look at verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour. Let's pray. Father in heaven, our gracious God, we do come before you once again this morning with praise and honour and glory to your name. We hallow your name, dear God. Father, we know that you are good and you are high and lifted up and you're holy, separate from sinners, yet you love us and you uh, descended here on earth through your Son to minister to us, to seek after us, to teach us, to serve us and to die for us. We ask and pray this morning that you would solidify all these facts in our hearts and minds that we would continue to look to you and your son as an example that we should also walk as you walked we pray lord that you would remove any distractions from our hearts and minds i pray that you would have liberty to do what you do best uh, lord god convict us challenge us comfort us we do ask and pray for those that cannot be with us. We pray that you'd have your hand of mercy upon them and continue, Father, to minister to them wherever they may be today. We love you, Lord. We know we are loved by you. And we thank you for your great love wherewith you loved us through your Son. And it's in his name we give praise and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're spending some good quality time in this series called A Renewed Walk. And uh, we're looking at Ephesians 4, and we looked at Ephesians 5. And uh, Paul is no uh, you know, stranger to challenging the church, or you see his epistle through and through, challenging the church, and giving instruction to the church. But he calls the church to no longer walk the way they used to walk as unbelievers. We see that in Ephesians 4, verse 17, that he says that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. How? In the vanity of their mind. In other words, they shouldn't walk after the mind that is vain or worthless, immoral or worldly. A vain life is a life that has no eternal purpose and Paul calls for them to not walk the way they used to walk. It is a life that lives for the here and now, gravitating to those things that pertain to the lust of the flesh. And so the Lord expects those who follow him to change the way they think, to change the way they walk. And uh, the way we think, no doubt, impacts the way we live, the way we walk. Paul calls it uh, a life that needs to be transformed in, Ro in, in Romans 12. And in Ephesians 4 verse 22, he says to put off concerning the former conversation or the lifestyle that we used to live, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And then he calls them to be renewed in the spirit of their mind. To be renewed means to renovate. To make new not just in some decisions or areas uh, you know with the way we live but every area of our life 
Every area, again, how we think impacts the way we live. Every area of our life must be renovated by the word of God. A few weeks ago, we looked at part one of the series, which is Walk in Love. We had two messages dedicated to that. And uh, we, we looked at some things that concern the source of love, the supremacy of love, and the subjects of love. Well, this morning, we'll continue with part one, Walking in Love. And we'll cover three more main, main points in Ephesians 5, verse 2. We're going to look at the Savior's love, the sacrifice of love, and the savor of love. Now, we're going to look at the first today. We don't have time to look at the other two. We'll look at the other two perhaps next week. But let's look at the first today found in verse 2, Ephesians 5. And walk in love as Christ also hath what? Loved us. This is, we're looking at the Savior's love this morning. And we're going to look at that love so we, we can imitate it. Because it says very clearly to walk in love as Christ loved us. So how, how did Christ love us? When we look closely at the love of Christ, we'll find the greatest love ever demonstrated in, in human history. Christ is demonstrated the greatest love ever before us. The love of Christ is defined as the no greater love. We can't find a love greater than that we see in Christ. Jesus taught it to his disciples and he also lived it before them. And so the question then must be asked, if we were to walk as Christ walked in this area of love, how did he love us? So we're going to look at several points this morning, answering the question, supporting the first main point. Uh, number one, the Savior's love was demonstrated with a heart of compassion for others. You know, the Lord Jesus did not uh, write people off, especially those that had a heart for him. He didn't write people off that were struggling he was patient, he was loving, he was kind, he showed mercy, he showed love to his disciples. That was absolutely remarkable, out of the world. I mean, he wasn't ready to give up on them. I mean, they had many flaws. You, mean, you, you cover the, the disciples when Jesus walked with them. They, they argued and, 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 and they had some inconsistencies. And the Lord encouraged them, he prayed for them, he warned them, he rebuked them. Uh, the Lord had a heart for them to be restored uh, you know, to a place of uh, that which the Lord wants them to be. And so you see this patience and this love demonstrated, and, uh, and it sure was demonstrated to the Apostle Peter. We'll look at him as an example. Right from the beginning, Peter doubted the Lord. I mean, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, remember that time where he said, cast the nets? Uh, they, they went fishing all night and they couldn't find any fish, they didn't catch any fish. And then Jesus comes along and he says, why don't you just cast into the deep? And, G and, and Peter, what did he say? He spoke up and he said, you know what? We're, we're master, we've toiled all night. We've taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I'll let down the net. And you know what? Peter had doubt in his heart. He doubted the Lord. He never believed the Lord. He never trusted the Lord in that instance. And, uh, and the proof of it is the way Peter reacted when he saw the fish. He eventually cast the net and he drew a multitude of fishes so much so that the, the net actually broke. And when he saw it, you know what happened? Peter fell down. He said, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. O Lord, he was broken. Now, how did the Lord Jesus Christ respond to him? Did he beat him down? 
Did he, did he, did he uh, discourage him even more? He was already discouraged and heartbroken at the fact that he would doubt the word of the Lord. When he, you know what he said in Luke 5 verse uh, 10? He says, unto Simon, fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. What a response. What a response from someone that doubted that he did. You know, it was almost like Peter was saying, you know what, Lord, we've, we've, we haven't, we're all night we've been toiling, but you know what, we're just, I'll just cast it out. At your word, we'll just do it. Faithless. And he saw his faith that it was, you know, simply uh, distorted. And he broke. And the Lord gently brings him to a point of reality saying that he was going to use him to impact people in his life. And you know what? Peter did. And uh, do you remember the time where Peter tried to hinder the will of God when Jesus explained to his disciples that he was going to go and suffer by the hands of the Pharisees and, and he was going to be crucified and rise again the third day? What did Peter say? You remember what Peter said? Peter very clearly took him, took Jesus, and the Bible says that he began to rebuke him. Can you imagine that? Peter rebuking Jesus, saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. No way. You're not going to be uh, suffering. You're not going to go to a cross. No way in the world. How did Jesus respond to that? Well, he rebuked him. By the way, it was a very sharp rebuke. And uh, I want you to see this in uh, verse 23. And he turned and he said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, what? Satan. Thou art an offence unto me, for thou savourest not the things that be of God, but thou, but those things that be of men. You know, you know, Peter, you're not thinking the things that are will, uh, of the will of God. You're thinking the things that are of men. Your your mind hasn't really, you know, simply been uh, directed to that which is uh, the will of God. And he and he says, "Get behind me!" Say, "This is the voice of the devil." Wow, that's a rebuke. That's a sharp rebuke. And it ought to be with anybody that's trying to distort the will of God. But you know what? Jesus loved him to rebuke him that way. I mean, he didn't want to deceive him in any way, did he? You know, Peter is a classic example of someone who loved the Lord yet had a distorted thinking. And what, what, what did Peter need? He needed a savior that was loving. He needed a savior that was patient, apt to teach and teach with love. And Jesus did that in the life of Peter. He was patient with him. Well, what about the time where Peter denies the Lord not one time, not two times, but three times? Remember that time? I mean, how can you forget? Peter is known as the one that denied the Lord. What did Peter say when Jesus predicted that fact? Well, he said, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both in prison and to death. What did Jesus say to him? When he knew that he was going to deny him, you know why? Jesus knows all things. And he knows that without the spirit of God and man left to himself, he cannot stand for the things of God. Because later on after Pentecost, you see Peter standing for the things of God. So Jesus knew that men without the power of God and the grace of God left to themselves, they're going to buckle but you know what? You know how Jesus responds? He says this. He says, but I've prayed for thee that thy faith fail not and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. 
We have an intercessor that prays for us when we're struggling, that prays for us when, when we're at our lowest point, when, when, we're, when we're down and out in our trials, in our tribulation. That's a loving Savior. That's a Savior that cares. And so God calls us to walk as Christ walked, loved us in this area. He, you know, love doesn't quickly give up on genuine God-fearing people who are seeking to love the Lord and live for the Lord. It doesn't do that. How many times did Peter crumble? But he needed someone to restore him, someone to bear the burden, someone to love him and meet him where he's at and, and help him get to where God wants him to be. You know, the Bible says charity suffer, suffers long. It's patient. Go to Galatians with me to chapter 6. Have a look at Galatians chapter number 6. And I want you to see verses 1 and 2. You know, brethren, we live in a society today that people are quick to give up on marriages. Yeah. We live in a society today that people are quick to give up on friendships. Quick to give up uh, in, in good churches. Why? Why is it that people don't have this love that never fails, that, that perseveres, a love that simply seeks the well-being of others, a love that is selfless? In Galatians chapter 1, notice what the Bible says, uh, sorry, chapter 6, verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of what? meekness considering thyself lest thou also be what tempted look at verse 2 bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of who christ i believe god is alluding to here through his word uh, uh the apostle paul speaking to the church of galatians that the the law of christ is the greatest commandment ever given to man love god with all your heart soul mind strength love your neighbor as your self that's the law of christ i mean th these two hinge on the ten on the on the law and the prophets i mean everything that god wanted in the old testament is revealed to us through christ and by his spirit and can be no doubt uh, uh simply lived out and he wants us to live them out how well he wants us firstly to live it out by gently restoring the erring brother. You know, sometimes uh, people that are overtaken in a fault are those that are stum they stumble, they fall, they fail. Uh, you know, it catches them by surprise. That's what it means, overtaken. It's not someone that, you know, is hard-hearted, rebel, someone that's uh, disobedient, a brother that is arrogant. No, it's someone, people fall, people stumble, people say silly things. People just, uh, you know, drop the ball, if you will. And the Bible says very clearly that you who are spiritual to deal with that brother with love that seeks to restore, not to beat down, not to criticize. I mean, this will indicate to us that a spiritual person can deal with erring brothers in a very carnal, unloving manner, doesn't it? I mean, instead of having a spirit of meekness, they can have a spirit of arrogance. I mean, you can nitpick on every little thing and be pharisaical in your maturity in Christ and your knowledge can puff up, as he said to the Corinthians, and because of that, you start looking at the inconsistency, little specks in the people's life. You know, everyone's got inconsistencies. 
Everyone's got little, you know, flaws. Some have bigger than others, you know. People need to get saved, get right with God. And and those that do have a lot of work to be done. But you know what? A, A spiritual person loves the Lord, although there's a lot of work and sanctification that needs to be done. But people have inconsistencies. We're not perfect. We are being perfected. And the Pharisee or the legalist looks at those imperfections and smacks that person on the head of how they can beat them down and destroy that person. So I like how Warren Weasby puts it. I really enjoyed reading what he said about this and I agree with him. He said this. He said, instead of trying to restore the erring brother, the legalist will condemn him and then use the brother to make himself look good. The legalist rejoices when a brother falls and often gives the matter widely publicity because then he can boast about his own goodness and how much better his group is than the group than than the group to which the fallen brother belongs. This is why Paul admonishes us in Galatians 5.26. He says, let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. He says the word provoke means to challenge to a context, to a contest, to compete with. The believer who walks in the spirit is not competing with other Christians or challenging them to become as good as he is. However, the legalist lives by the competition and comparison and tries to make himself look good by making the other fellow look bad. The the spirit-led believer approaches the matter in a spirit of meekness and love, while the legalist has an attitude of pride and condemnation. The legalist does not need to consider himself because he pretends he could never commit such a sin. But the believer living by grace realizes that no man is immune from falling. He has an attitude of humility because he realizes his own weaknesses. I like that. It's true. And may God help us walk in love as Christ loved us and showed patience and long-suffering to people that are growing and to people that are uh, discouraged and people that are trying to get over their habits that they've brought into their Christian life. Secondly, I want you to notice verse 2. He says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. How do you walk in love? How do you submit to the commandment that God has given us? By bearing the burdens of others. Burdens are referred to shortcomings, failures, temptations, struggles, discouragements, testings and trials of others. And love doesn't stand off from a distance and criticize others in their distress, but love comes along to that brother who is discouraged and helps them in every way that they can or in every possible way by God's help. Love is not simply uh, malicious, it's compassionate. And it's compassionate upon others. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, the Bible says, And above all things, have what kind of charity? What kind of love? Fervent love. I mean, what a description. Not just kind of any kind of love, but fervent love. A love that is fervent. I mean, how many people today have fervent love? Not many. Why? Because they're just wrapped up with themselves. 
They're easy to give up. They're easy to, uh, you know, uh, throw in the towel. They're always looking at their hurts or looking at their troubles or looking at their own, uh, you know, uh, life. And, and they don't consider the life of others. They don't care about others. The Bible says here that fervent charity, you know, uh, covers a multitude of sin. You know what that means? It bears with, comes alongside of, that builds up. You know, our Lord Jesus had compassion to the very point that he was building up his disciples and helping them come to a place of maturity, of, 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 of holiness, of a place where they now can love others. You know, Jude 1.21 says, Keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Look at this. And some... Have compassion, making a what? Making a difference. I mean, how are you going to have compassion? By keeping yourself in the love of God? By walking in love as Christ loved us? And those some having compassion are those that have been taken by the wicked one. Those that have been deceived. Those that have been simply uh, you know, manipulated. Those that perhaps have a heart for God, but are struggling. There are people that are struggling. And all they need is someone to love on them, someone to pray for them, someone to care for them, someone to uplift them. They don't need someone else like the heathen in the world to come and bang on them and push them down like the devil does. I mean, we live in churches today that the people make trouble over little, little silly things. It, it's a disgrace. It is a disgrace. And we saw from, you know, the other sermons that we, we spoke about, about how forgiveness is, is, is imperative and how to come and deal with, you know, issues and so forth. And only if we did that, we'd walk in love. When Jesus had an issue with the disciples, he let them know. Amen. You know, one of the things, that, one of the downfalls is not letting someone know when you have an issue. You harbor it in your heart for so long. And instead, of, when, when that person stumbles, instead of helping them, it's time to bang them on the head because you have bitterness in your heart toward them. Now, there's no way in the world that we can ever, ever help someone with compassion if we don't keep ourselves in the love of God, if we're not walking in love. And so this is one of the greatest examples that Jesus demonstrates with his disciples that he restored them, he had, he had bared their burdens, he prayed for them, cared for them, taught them, rebuked them, warned them, came alongside of them. I mean, you just look at the life of Christ and we ought to do the same in the life of those uh, of our brethren. So the Savior's love was demonstrated with a heart of compassion for others. Number two, the Savior's love was demonstrated with a heart of consistent care for others. Now, the Lord Jesus was not a man who showed partiality. I mean, when he dealt with people, he didn't favor someone, you know, over another because of their status quo. He had a consistent care for all people. And the reason for that is because he had genuine love and that love was governed by a sincere truth. Jesus' love was not swayed by the flattery of people or the fame from others. It wasn't swayed, you know, uh, the social status of a man didn't dictate the decisions and dealings of the Lord with others. He was consistent. His, his care was consistent. 
He wasn't a respecter of persons in his affairs. I mean, even his own enemies saw this quality in him. I want you to see Mark 12 and look at verse 14. And when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true. Good. Good observation. By the way, these were, these were men that weren't true. All right, they, were, they had deceit in their heart. They were flattering the Lord. And they were trying to trap him. And they were hired to do that. That's another sermon for another day. Okay? But, uh, and, he, and they say, We know that thou art true and carest for no man, for thou regardest not the purses of men. Now, he, the Bible's not saying that he doesn't care for people. He's just saying he doesn't care about their status quo. He's not worried about their position or how much money they have or you know, what kind of you know, f- affiliation they have or political position that they belong to. He doesn't care. What does God care about? He cares about truth. He cares about dealing with people sincerely and, 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 and with compassion, not based upon their status, status quo. For they, they say that regardless not the persons of men, but teaches the way of God in truth. They saw that quality. And when we see this quality manifested, no doubt, in the open, open invitation of salvation to all men who have a genuine heart to repent. I want you to see in Acts 10. Then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is not a what? A respecter of persons. But in every nation, in every country, every nation, God's not a racist. God doesn't, you know, discriminate between black and white. Did you know that? He doesn't discriminate between Jew and Gentile. Did you know that? Every nation, he that what? Feareth him and worketh righteousness is what? Is accepted with him. Peter knew it. The Lord is not a respecter of persons. Notice what Paul says to the Romans. He says in Romans 2 verse 10, but glory, honor, peace to every man that what? Worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respecter of persons with who? With God. God doesn't, you know, have any respect of persons in, in, Adam, in, in adoration of, of those that perhaps, uh, you know, are rich or even poor. Who's God looking for? One that fears him. One that loves him. One that's sincere. One that wants to know the truth. I want you to see the Ephesians here, Ephesians 6. We see the quality of love manifested in his dealing with us as children. Ephesians 6 verse 5, he says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. So he's talking to those that work for their employer. He says, with fear and trembling and with the singleness of heart as unto Christ. Hey, why don't you work for your boss with fear and trembling as to Christ? Don't take advantage of them. Don't, don't you know, exploit them in any way. Not with eye service as man pleases, but as what? As the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. With good, well-doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall receive of the Lord, whether it be what? Bond or free. Whether you're a servant or whether you're a master. Whatever you do, if it's done with a genuine heart before God, that's what God cares about. He doesn't care if you're a servant. He doesn't care if you're a master. 
I want you to see verse 9. And ye, master, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatenings. You know, don't threaten your, your servants. Treat them with respect, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither there is a respecter of persons with who? With him. You know, the Lord reminds us, those who are in authority that they ought to treat their servants with the same respect the servant gives them just because they're serving you and they don't have you know a lot of money like you do or they don't have the position like you do it doesn't mean that you should treat them in a manner that is disgraceful treat them with respect don't show any partiality or he's the big boys, you know, the, 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 the board, the CEOs. And he, and same thing happens, by the way, in every context. Holding a position of a CEO or a position in politics or a position even in the home or even in the church doesn't give any leverage to the authority to treat others with disrespect. I'm the head of the home. Well, good on you. Serve the people in your home. And we're going to get there in a moment. I'm the boss here. Yeah, good, good. Run it with love and care and concern for your employees. Amen. I'm the pastor. Well, good on you, mate. You're the pastor. Serve the people like Jesus served his disciples. Love them. Treat them with consistent care for them. Don't stand over them. Don't lord on them. It doesn't matter if what position you have, how much money you have in the bank. It doesn't matter what kind of authority you have. God doesn't look at that. God looks at the way you treat people. He always has. How are you treating people? Both authority, servants. Love is not disrespectful. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, Charity suffers long, it is kind. Charity envies not, charity vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, it's not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. The master in heaven does not despise the poor and have a special kind of respect for the wealthy. The Lord is more concerned with the spiritual well-being of every single person. You agree with that? Doesn't matter how much money you got in the bank. It doesn't. I mean, this is how the world, I mean, James says that in James chapter 2. This is how the world thinks. They're a respecter of persons. You know, the more money you have, the more talent you have, the more power you have, the more likes you have. That's how the world looks. At that, and people look up to them and they show favor, but true love does not show partiality. The Lord didn't show it, so we shouldn't. We should follow in His footsteps and walk as He walked and love people and not be partial with our dealings toward them. Go to James chapter 2, please. I want you to see this in James chapter number 2. Aren't you, aren't you glad that the Bible defines what the royal love of God is to us? Aren't you glad what the law of Christ? is defined to us and how we should live and, and how should, we should uh, behave and toward our fellow man. In James chapter 2, verse 1, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons? You know what, the Lord, you know what James is saying? He says, don't, don't live as a Christian having respect of persons. I mean, if you go to Jude, that's how the corrupt creeps that creep in the, the churches, they, they, they're always showing partiality. 
They're always flattering people. You know why they do that? Because they always want the approval of man. They want some sort of, uh, you know, <coughs> following. They want people to love them. And you read Jude, I don't have it in the text, but you read Jude, that's one of the qualifications. And over here, James is saying, don't have that. Don't, you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, have it without the respect of persons. Now, it's very important to ascertain here and understand what he's showing partiality. You know, I want to just a few disclaimers. Number one, having close friendships with others is not showing partiality. I mean, my friendship with my wife is greater than my friendship with my children. It doesn't mean I'm partial toward them. You understand that? So having friendships or having close relationship with others doesn't mean you're partial toward other people. By the way, if you want friends, the Bible says, show yourself what? Friendly. Be a friend. Be a friend. That's what the Bible says. Giving special attention to certain children in my home doesn't mean I'm showing partiality. Sometimes I'll probably work with one more than the other. Sometimes I'll take one with me and not the other. Am I showing partiality? No. I'm trying to treat them in a way that God will have me to treat them, show more care here because they need it, more love here, hoping that the others will understand. By the way, if you look at the life of you know, uh, Joseph, his, his brothers envied him because they saw that his father showed him more care and compassion or love toward him. And by the way, there ought to be you know, uh, a warning to us that we do not show uh, a deliberate, if you will, love for one sibling toward another sibling, that we try to care for them and love them equally, even though they might just misunderstand us. I mean, it is hard, it's difficult, especially when you have many kids. I mean, if you have one, how easy is that? But if you have, you know, many, it, it is difficult and it takes wisdom to, know, to share that love without them thinking that you favor one more than the other. You know, by the way, reminding them of your love and care for them is so important. God does that to us. Second of all, respecting and honoring authority is not showing partiality. We respect your elders, amen? You know, just because, you know, uh, someone's rich or someone has authority doesn't mean now I go on the other extreme and disrespect them and say, well, I'm going to show more favor to the poor man, the old homeless man. No, God is not saying that to us. God wants respect across the board to every man. And that respect should not be contingent based upon their status quo. Romans 13, 7, render therefore to all their dues, tribute whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. To have respect of persons means to show partiality and demonstrate favoritism. It is to treat a person differently from another person based upon the things that are perhaps physical, their physical appearance or their nationality or their color their prosperity, their position, their ability, again, their status quo. James uses a very graphic example of how a person can be guilty of showing partiality. I mean, the illustration is a hypothetical one, but very practical, okay? 
And it reveals the heart of a person. The religious Pharisees did this all the time. They want the admiration of men. They want to be praised in the marketplace. They wanted all that. In James chapter 2, verse 2, notice the example he gives. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit down here in a good place. And say to the poor, stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. This is the example that he gives. Now I want you to understand, please, uh, the emphasis is not on the rich man, nor is it on the poor man. They have nothing to do with the situation. But the emphasis here is on the one demonstrating partiality. If the poor man is treated better than the rich man, it's not the poor man's fault. If the, if the rich man is treated more than, better than the, the poor man, it's not the, rich, it's not the rich man's fault. Whose fault is it? If you're actually treating one person in disrespecting the other person, it's that person's fault. It's the way you are treating them. And you're not treating them with a consistent care for both of them. And there's a reason for that. You know, partiality hurts both the rich man and the poor man. As a matter of fact, the rich man thinks, look, I'm sick of getting this special attention. I want real friends. I don't want people sucking up to me because I've got money. I don't want people sucking up to me because I'm in a high position. I want real friends. He probably feels that way. You know, like, man, can someone just lo love me for me, not how much money I have? And we have those people. That's, this is the whole purpose of James talking here. You know, so who, who's getting really hurt? Is it the rich man? Yeah, the rich man's getting hurt too. Not just the poor man. Why? Because the rich man's being laughed at. You know, showing partiality is a very self-centered act. You're not despising just the poor man. You're despising the rich man. Yes, the poor man is despised. But why? Because you can't get anything from him. And that goes to show that you're sucking up to the rich man to get something from him. And I got you. I have a question: Is that love? Is that love? No. That's not love. That's not love at all. Giving special attention to someone to get some sort of gain is both selfish and loveless. So, I mean, people today, they're so easy. I mean, you know, show partiality like as if it, it's a light thing. No, it's a serious thing. It's a serious thing to show partiality to somebody. It's a hurtful thing. It's a selfish thing. Very, very, very selfish. A man of God once said, giving special attention to the rich is not a minor transgression or an unfortunate oversight. According to James, it is sin. It is sin and it is, it, it is emphasized that it is a gross sin because it dictates the way you live, the way you're fake. You're fake. You're not a real genuine person when you show partiality. You're a fake person. I mean, I've got people saying that they've showed partiality to me for years. Thinking that they're, they're, they're repenting for the sake of others. Oh, I'm sorry. I showed partiality to the pastor and I neglected you and didn't stand for the truth. Well, what did you think that made me feel? 
You're a fake. You're a phony. You weren't my friend. Because a true friend will tell you exactly the truth. It won't pretend. That's why they knew and understood that Jesus didn't show partiality. That he taught with what? Truth. He was genuine, both in his love and both in truth. They're, un they're inseparable. By the way, charity doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in what? Truth. And so when someone comes up to me and, say, and, and, and says to the church, oh, I've showed partiality to Pastor Charlie for, over, you know, for, for years, that just goes to show that you were loveless, you didn't care for your pastor, you were heartless, you didn't demonstrate the royal love of God, and you were phony even when you were preaching the word of God. It's a serious thing, brethren. I mean, it's a subtle sin of evil thoughts. Look at verse 4 of James chapter 2. Have a look. Are ye not then partial in yourselves and become judges of what? Evil thoughts. Partial means to make a distinction, to divide. Basically, what James is saying is you're discriminating. And you're becoming judges of evil thoughts. Their own outward actions of favoritism that were based upon externals revealed what was going on in their heart. It was a manifestation. I want you to see verse 8. Look what, look what James says in verse 8, James 2. If ye fulfill the royal law, the royal law, what, what's that? The royal law. According to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit what? You commit what? Sin and are convinced of the law as a what? Transgressor. That's not walking in love as Christ loved us. You're actually walking in, in, in transgressing the law. You're walking in a way that's disrespectful to the law or the royal law of God to love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, how would you, want to, how would you like to be treated? How would you like to be treated? How would you like, you know, to be cared for? Do you want your care to be based upon what you can get out of people? I mean, do you want people to befriend you so they can get something out of you? Is that the kind of relationship that you want? I don't want that. You know, the disciples was, even the, some of the parents of the disciples were coming up to Jesus and says, hey, I want my son to sit on your right hand and my son to sit on your left hand. Sucking up to Jesus. He told them straight, it's not, it's not for me to give. My father's going to do that. And what happened to the other disciples? They got angry. Well, the Bible says they had indignation. And there are times that, you know, Jesus took John with him and Jesus took Peter with him. He wasn't showing Pasha. He was doing a work in every single disciple's heart. But just to go up to someone and befriend them, and, to, and, and, and by the way, we can do this to God. We can rub on God, come to God, suck up to God for something. We ought not to do that. We ought to love God for who God is. Amen? The Savior's love was demonstrated with a heart of compassion for others. The Savior's love was demonstrated with a heart of consistent care for others. Number three, the Savior's love was demonstrated with a heart of selfless service for others. The Lord Jesus was the greatest leader who ever lived. 
and still lives, by the way. Amen. He demonstrated true leadership by being a true servant. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, the Bible says that he made himself of no reputation, but took upon him a form of a servant and was made in the likeness of who? Men. The love and grace of our Lord is what moved him to come all the way from heaven for our good. For he, 2 Corinthians 8, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became what? Poor, that through his poverty... What? That ye through his poverty might be what? Rich. What a blessing. I'll probably expound on this verse next week. But he came all the way from heaven to wash dirty feet, to serve others, to love others. Go to John with me, if you will. John chapter 13. I want you to see this. John chapter 13 in your Bibles. Verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour was, not, uh, was, was, his hour was come, that he should depart out of his, this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto what? Wow. <clears throat> he loved them all the way to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he was come from God and went to God and riseth from supper and laid aside his garment and took a towel and girded himself. After that he pour, poureth water into a basin, he began to wash his, the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Here it is, Simon again. Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Here it is again. You see, Peter? Jesus answered and said, He answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. How did uh, Peter respond? He came good, amen. He immediately came good. Next verse. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not only my feet, not, 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 he says, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. What a heart Peter had, amen. When he knew and understood that if Jesus didn't stoop down to wash his feet, he would have no part with him. Oh, wash my feet, wash my head, everything from head to bottom. That's, that, that's the heart of Peter, my friend. For him, it was like, no way. It was like similar to John the Baptist. I don't think he did anything wrong here. John the Baptist, you know, was thrown back at the fact that he would baptize Jesus. And he says, I'm not even worthy to undo your shoe latchet. I think Peter had this disposition here. What do you mean, Lord? You washing my feet? You being my master? You going to wash my feet? Anyway, he was thrown back. Rightly so. And Jesus said, you don't really understand it now, but you'll understand it later. And we do understand it now, amen? We do understand it way better than Peter understood it then. What a God of love. What a, what a demonstration of what true leadership looks like, true love looks like. You're not going to find it out there in the world. No way in the world. You won't find it there, will you? 
And then we see here in verse 10, Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For ye know, he says, for ye, for he know who should betray him. He knew who should betray him, therefore said, ye are not all clean. <clears throat> so after he that washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me master and Lord, and ye say well, for so I am. By the way, that's the deity of Christ right there. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. Amen. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you a what? An example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is uh, sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye what? If you do them. Happy are ye. Now back in the day, they used to wear a lot of sandals and they used to walk a lot. And it was a custom for those to have a bowl of water and a towel for the visitor. And that the visitor can come in, they can wash their feet. If you were a, a great host, if you were uh, a servant, if you will, you would get down on your knees and wash your servant's feet. Now, we don't have that here. We probably take our shoes off or we probably wipe our feet on it. We, our feet are not dirty when we go in uh, some places still in some, uh, in some countries. They're like that now. But the example is this, serving others. Now, we can find different ways in serving others. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to serve one another in love. I want you to see in Galatians 5 very clearly. Have a look in Galatians 5. Look at verse 13. For brethren, you have, caught, you have been called unto what? Liberty. You know we have freedom in Jesus Christ. You know we're free from the bondage of sin, death and hell. He says, only use not liberty for the occasion to the flesh. Don't live the way you want now because you're free in Christ. Hey, remember the royal law of love. What is it? But by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word or this sentence. Even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. It's all over the scriptures. Restoring someone, bearing their burdens, not showing partiality, he being a servant. This is how Jesus loved us. He served us. And now as Christians, as believers, as people that have been redeemed, free and liberated, not to serve self, but to serve him by serving others. That's how Jesus walked. Next week, we'll look at the sacrifice of love. It takes sacrifice. It takes sacrifice. It doesn't come naturally to us. It needs to be purposeful. Look at verse 15. Notice what suppresses true love and serving one another. Look at verse 15. Here it is. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. You know what suppresses and dampers the love that is in us and grieves the Spirit of God? When you start having a spirit of the flesh, you're walking in the flesh and you're not walking in the spirit and it's competitive, you've got envy, you've got strife and you're competing, vainglory, 
How can you serve someone that you, know, that you have all these things in your heart? You're bite and bickering and, and all the rest of it. You can't serve one another like that. And by the way, there's no way in the world you would ever rectify any relationship in any context with having that kind of spirit. Biting and devouring one another, being consumed. That's a terrible thing. You know, the flesh is absolutely disgusting. Did you know that spiritual people can walk in the flesh? You know, it's a disaster when they do. It's disastrous. I guarantee you, you won't be walking in the spirit and having the spirit of love when you do. And that, this is, this, the whole purpose of this message is to be renewed in our mind that we would have a new way of walking. And the new way of walking is walking in love, my friend. We weren't walking in love before we knew the Lord. Remember what Paul said to Titus? We were hateful and hating one another. And if we had any kind of love, it wasn't like this. It wasn't like the Savior's love and what we see in the Scriptures. I mean, Jesus, in closing, came all the way from heaven, not only to wash feet, not only to serve others, but he came all the way from heaven and willingly laid down his life for others. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, the Bible says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the no greater love. John 15, 13. No greater love have no, uh, have, have no man than this. What is it, Lord? What is it? A man laid down his life for his friends. I mean, honestly, would you be willing to lay down your life for others? Now, how can you if you're talking about them? How can you if you're constantly gossiping behind their back? How can you when you have bitterness in your heart toward them? How can you when you envy them? How can you? There's no way in the world you'll be ever walking in the spirit of love and laying down your life if you're walking in the vanity of your mind in the flesh. There's no way in the world. Look at this. I, hereby, in 1 John 3.16, hereby perceive we the love of God. How? How, we, how do we perceive it? Because he laid down his life. How do we know God loved us? He laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay our, down our lives for who? Okay, well, this is how we walk. Walking love as Christ loved us. He laid down his life. We ought to lay down our life. You know what that means? Be willing to live for others so much so that you'll be willing to die for them. Can, honestly, I mean, if we put it into perspective and had an illustration, and we put it like this, let's just say there was a house on fire can you look at every single person in this room and if they were in that fire, will you honestly say, I will run in there and I will rescue them knowing that I'll probably die in the process. Your kids, easy. I don't think you'll miss a heartbeat, right, Zach? I mean, you understand. You're not going to miss a heartbeat. I mean, your child is in the fire, you don't even think. You don't even stop to think. Agree? Come on, let's be honest. Romans 5 says that very clearly. But how about someone that hurt you in the church? So maybe they said something. Maybe you don't like them because who knows? But they're in the church and they might be growing, developing, but you don't like them as much as you, do, you like this other person. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us to like people. It tells us to love them. Amen. 
And there's this love that's supernatural that comes from God. You'll never get it if you're not walking in the Spirit of God. Never. That you can actually see them in that house. It doesn't matter who it is. Look at every single person in this room, in this church. And can you see them in that fire and, and go in and try to rescue them if you had an opportunity to? Or will you hesitate? Mate. Think about it. every single person in this church. Are you able to do that? Will you be willing? If opportunity presented itself, will you do it? This is the love that God bestowed upon us. While we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is walking in the Savior's love is the greatest. Don't miss it as we close. The greatest identification as being a disciple. Turn, I want you to see. John 13. The greatest identification. The greatest mark as a Christian is this. That's the greatest mark. You all have to read is 1 Corinthians 13. You can speak in tongues. You can be the greatest expository of the scripture, line upon line. Good for you. But do you have love and the love of Christ? You can give your body to be burnt for a worthless cause, for your own pride and prestige, your own accolade or religion. But do you have the love of Christ? That's what matters. That's what God looks at. And I want you to see in verse 34, he says in verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Now what's this new commandment? I mean, we've heard this commandment before. Why is it new? Well, I believe this. And this is what I believe. When he gave us the two golden commandments, he says, love your neighbor as your what? But over here he says, as I have loved you. He's taken it up a bar. The greatest, no greater love. Not as I have loved, not me, not, not me. I'm going to love you as I love myself. I'm going to love you as Christ loved me. Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 35, by this, this is how, by this, shall all men know that you are my disciples if, if ye love one another. It's not how well you preach. It's not how well you give or sing, how well you look, how well your Bible is marked. Good. It's not how big the cross is on your chest or the tattoo of a cross on your arm. No. By this. By what, Lord? That you would love one another as I have loved you. You know, the world... They will see that you are genuine disciples of the Lord 
by the way you're willing to live and sacrifice your life for your brethren. We, we, look, listen, brethren, we don't know, seriously, the world doesn't know Christ because of his great sermon on the mount, though it's great, tremendous sermon. I mean, the world really doesn't know Christ for his miracles, though it's executed with power. For the most part, the world knows Christ because of the cross, because of Calvary. And our burdens was lifted at Calvary. You can stand behind this thing, but if you don't have, if you don't have love, you're a noise. And people get it. People get it in the home. People get it in the workplace. People get it in the church. Man, you know when people love you and you know when they don't love you. You know it. And you can say, I love you all you want, my friend. But if you don't live it, it's just a noise. It's a noise to God and it's a noise to one another. It's just a noise. It's all it is. Our love without Christ is fickle. And the reason why people are not willing to lay down their life is they're not walking in the Spirit of God. They're not walking as Christ walked. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come unto me, let him deny himself, and carry his cross and follow me. That's a true follower of Christ. You can preach Christ all you want, but you live in Christ. That's a Christian. And, 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 and the love that he demonstrated was unconditional, sacrificial, laying down. I don't think a lot of Christians know what that means. Have a look at 1 John 4, we're done. Look at verse 9, and this was manifested, the love of God toward us. How was the love of God manifested? Because that God sent his only begotten son in the world that we might live through him. Look at this, here is love. Here it is. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Look at, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father, <clears throat> our gracious, our gracious God, you've made it very clear that in the last days, the days that are perilous, the love of many will wax cold. But I pray that this won't happen in your house. That the love of Christ will be shed abroad in our hearts. 
that we would continue to be willing to lay it down, to not give up on people, to bear their burdens, to not be prideful, look down at others, to hate sin, yes, but to love people the way you loved us. And that we'd not be partial in our dealings, God. Would not treat people carelessly, but compassionately. And that we would be willing to serve them and willing to lay down our lives for them as you, as you laid down your life for us. Lord, I pray that you will continue to do a work in our hearts in this area, that our minds will be renewed, that our walk will be different, that we would walk as he walked and we would walk in love for one another. In Jesus' name, amen.